2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Paul said, I gotta, I gotta keep myself humble here. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Somebody say a thorn. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing. What thing? The thorn. For this thing. I besought the Lord three times. Thrice. That it might depart from me. But he, the Lord, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Lord, take my thorn. And the Lord said, You keep the thorn, I'll give you the grace. You keep the thorn, I'm going to give you the grace. Because my strength is made perfect when you are at your best. Come on now. My strength is made perfect when you're strong. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. This last verse is so powerful. This last portion of this verse, most gladly, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. I want to tell you this morning, there is a purpose in my pain. There is a purpose in my pain. I want you to set your Bibles down and lift your hands towards heaven and ask the Lord to minister to your heart right now. Pastor, why do we lift our hands? Because it's a sign of complete submission. God, I surrender to you right now. Whatever you want to speak to my heart and my life, I'm open to you right now. Speak the word to me, God. Speak the word to me, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Speak to us, God. We need your word in this house today. I believe you have spoken to your servant. Speak to your church in Jesus' name. We will honor you, Lord. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor this morning, there is a purpose in your pain. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. There have been seasons in my life that, uh, just being completely honest and transparent with you, I have, I have struggled with 2 Corinthians the 12th chapter, because the apostle is speaking uh, early in the chapter, um, he is speaking concerning, uh, I guess, 
really the only way you could describe it would be almost like an outer body experience of this uh, spiritual nirvana type state where he said, I don't even know if I was in the body or out of the body, but there was a man there and he starts talking about the revelation that he got. And I found that I think everybody wants to go to a deep place in God, you know, uh, it's going to make me sound like an old fuddy-dud, and I'm, I'm extremely young, so I thank the Lord for that. But I've had guys call me before and say, Pastor St. Clair, what, what do I have to do to get to the next level? What do I have to do for my anointing to be greater? What's it, what's it going to take for me to get more revelation? And you know, I wish I had a really suave answer for people. I wish I could tell you today that revelation is cheap, that anointing is cheap. Uh, I wish I could tell you that you could have the most incredible ministry in the kingdom of God and all, all you have to do is just show up Sunday and Wednesday and uh, tell people, I love Jesus, and put a fish on your car and uh, get, you a, get you a decal sticker put on, on, on your bumper and I'm a Jesus fan, you know. I, I think if, perhaps if you could if you drive a pickup truck, if all the way across the back window, if you could just put John 3.16... Uh, in a decal that you would probably have an incredible ministry but I want to tell you something church this is where this is where I struggle with 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 it tells a story that is as real as real can get that for anybody who is ever going to do anything for God, you will not be delivered from every trouble in your life. There is such a... Let's just, let's just call it what it is, okay? There, there is a lie that is presented to people that because you are faithful to God, you will never see a rain cloud. Well, I want to tell you something for all the geniuses that propose this kind of message. If the church they pastor is cloudless and rainless, it's a dry place. There's no growth there. You can promise, you can, you can promise whatever you want to promise it. If you come to this church and you live for God, you're not going to go through any trouble where you're going to pastor a bunch of weak, water-need, jelly-backed people that have never had to stand for the test of their faith. And you hear this preacher when I tell you this morning, it's not called faith because it's easy. Faith would be so much easier if God would let me see Every step that I'm going to take. But you hear me when I tell you that some of the most afraid times of my life 
when I have been the most fearful, and I've heard it preached, that fear and faith do not coexist. That is not true. Because some of the most fearful times of my life have been when I've had to trust God and take a step into the darkness afraid, not knowing where my foot would land or if it would land at all, but knowing that that which I cannot see is greater than that which I have seen. I want to tell you today that faith is deeper than what I see. It is my ability to believe that even when I cannot see his hand, I can trust his heart and he has good intention for my life now uh, I'm probably going to hurt somebody's feelings in here right now because this is not what you're going to hear on TV preaching I know wonderful people who have been faithful to God in their finances that have had difficult financial times. <laughs> but that mindset keeps us in poverty. We let it keep us poor. Because when we go through difficult times, we stop being faithful. Woo wee. Did I say the did I say like Something about money or something because it just got really tight. It keeps us in poverty because we trust God and we're faithful in our tithe and our offering. And then when we hit a tight season, we say, but Lord, you said you would open up the windows and pour out a blessing that I can't contain. And here I am being faithful to God, but now I've hit a tough season. So then I take what he's given me and I hold it back. And I lock up the blessing of God and I close the window. I leave God no choice at all but to close the window of blessing on my life because I hit a difficult time. You know what? I have been faithful in my tithe and offering when it wasn't, when it wasn't anything. I've gone to meetings or in this church where we were taking up offerings. And I had the money to give. And we've taken up offerings when I didn't have the money to give. And I had to get creative in how to give. I brought keys to vehicles and laid them at the feet of Jesus. And said, Lord, I don't have anything else to give, so you're going to have to take something that's paid off. Because the test of my faithfulness is not when it's easy. Sometimes we've got to show God... I'm going to be faithful when it hurts. And then there comes an elevation of another level for me that it's all right to trust God and still go through difficult times knowing that he's never failed me yet and he's not going to get started on it today. Um, I've said this before, but, you know, fear... Oftentimes keeps us keeps us locked in to a certain way of thinking. And I believe in this generation it has created quite the conundrum for us because um, it has brought us to a place where what one generation called faithfulness, we now call sacrifice. 
I'm going to let that sink. That's why I'm not screaming right now. There was a season in the kingdom of God that it was not about convenience as to whether or not you came to the house of God. If you had to hitch a ride, if you had to call a taxi, if you had to whatever, if you lived in Mississippi and went to Brother Wilson's church, then you could hitch a ride from the country with one of the old farmers that was in his church that would hook up a, a wagon to the back of his tractor and he'd give people a ride to church. Well, it wouldn't go over here. Well, I don't know if it went over there or not, but it built a faithful church. Now, now listen, I, I'm talking about fear keeping you locked up. I, I, I don't know really what everybody's, uh, every individual's background is in here, but I was raised in a faith environment. It was a faith environment where people... If their fuel tank was low on Saturday and they only had enough gas to either get to church on Sunday or work on Monday, they never thought twice about it. They just went out to the car and they, they went to church. But when we start making choices now, we block testimonies of the miraculous. Because I've been in the services where the saints stand up to testify and they say, last Sunday night after church, while I was on my way home and worried how I was going to get to work tomorrow, I began to watch the fuel gauge of my car come up off of empty. Well, pastor, God didn't put gas in there. Well, that's why you're locked up in a place of no faith and no blessing. We, we lock the hands of God when we let pain stop us from believing. It, it, it binds us up. It stops us from believing that God is able. Yes, God's able to put fuel in there when you've got enough money to fill everybody else's car up. But what about when you've got to walk by faith and you're worried of whether or not you're going to have enough to eat tomorrow? You know what? A faithful person, not sacrificial, a faithful person will say, then if I fast on Monday, I'll just fast. But I'm going to the house of God today. You don't have to believe this. I'm telling you how I was raised. I was raised with people telling stories. Sister Carr, like this right here. They would give their last dime on Sunday. Go home and say, what am I going to do? And on Monday morning, somebody would knock on the door. Now, you don't have to believe me. But somebody would knock on the door. And when they would go to the door, there wouldn't be a single person standing there. But their entire porch would be filled with bags of groceries. God cannot move when there's not a vacuum of space for him to move. I'm using finances because it's the thing that grips us the most. But I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about your ministry. I'm talking about your resources. God cannot fill us up until we've learned how to empty out. Oh, my 
me. But if I take your thorn from you, then you have not exercised faith. Mm-mm-mm. I know that according to the mantra of some Christian television stations, and I say that very loosely, Christian, their mantra is, if you sow in, God's going to get you a new house and a new car, and you're going to make more money than you've ever made. Well, pastor, do you not believe in the blessing of the Lord? I do believe in biblical prosperity. I believe the motive has to be right. This is not Wall Street. I'm setting up for a golden street. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe it's the will of God for him to get people out of poverty. But it's not faith when I just sow a seed for $400. Because somebody said if you'll sow $400, God will return it and give you $10,000. My motive is checked right then because I'm giving to see what God will give me back. I'm not giving because it's the right thing to do. Y'all want me to preach about something fun? I'm going to help you before we're out of here. Several years ago, I was on a flight. I was headed to preach a conference in Texas. And I, grabbed a, I just grabbed a book, something that I could read. And usually, it depends on what, what mood I'm in. I'm going to read something that's going to better me, make me a better pastor, a better husband, a better father, whatever. I, I, I want to be better. So I pick up this book about leadership, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, really, after a while, once you, once you read a leadership book, it's kind of like they're all the same thing. It's going to say kind of the same thing. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like just toughen up, get the work done, and lead. I didn't really know how this book was going to affect my life and change my life. The book was about pain and the pain of leadership and what it, what it costs you to lead. It was written by a gentleman named Samuel Chand. God began to speak to me on that flight. I was headed to, to Houston to get a rental car and drive to uh, the meeting. And when I, when I landed, I was, I was shaken in my mind. I just I couldn't figure out where in the world I was coming or going because God was ripping me to pieces. And I went on to the conference and I preached and for some reason, I don't, I don't understand why, but for some reason this weekend, God began to bring some of those principles back to my mind and drop them in my spirit for somebody that's here today. So if you're here, I'm asking you to put your seatbelt on for the next few minutes. And I want you to stay with me because God is going to touch somebody and heal somebody in this house today. After several years of time, God had you on his mind today to remind this preacher that God wants to speak something in the heart of somebody. Here are a few things that I've discovered along the way about going through pain in life. And it's very simply uh, these few things. The longer that I avoid a problem, the bigger it generally becomes. If I summon the courage to endure small amounts of pain and do what's right early in the game, I will avoid larger doses of pain later in life. Here's something the enemy doesn't want you to know. Pain is a part of progress. Anything that grows is going to experience pain. If I avoid all pain in my life, I avoid all growth in my life. 
Often the difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the experience and the suffering and the pain that I am unwilling to endure. Doing what's right, no matter how difficult and how much it costs me, does not make it unright because I don't want to do it. The right thing is usually the most costly thing. Woo. Here's another lesson for you about pain in life. This is a good one. God is faithful. Hold on. Was you expecting something deeper than that? Pastor, how's he faithful? I'm going through pain because he's faithful when I'm healed. And he's faithful when I'm not. I'm not here today to paint with broad brush strokes and tell you that God has brought you to this house today to remove the storm and the pain out of your life. What I'm here to tell you today is that God will walk with you through the storm and God will be with you through the pain. You may have to endure some pain. You may have to go through some things. But if God removes every bit of pain out of your life, you have never had to endure anything. Pain teaches us to depend on God. Pain teaches us what faithfulness is really about. Let me tell you what it does. Pain purifies my motives. I know this is real encouraging, isn't it? Pain keeps us humble. It'll keep us seeking the face of God. 2 Chronicles 7.14 How often do we quote it? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I want you you all to listen to this. I want you to listen to the wording of this. Don't miss pastor this morning. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'm going to hear them from heaven. Watch. I'm going to forgive their sin because they're messed up. I'm going to heal their land. Because their land is messed up. Go ahead, 15. Now my eyes shall be open and my ears attend to the prayer that is made in this place. Listen to what I'm telling you. He said, if your land needs healed, then you need to be humbled. If your sin needs to be forgiven, then you need to be humbled. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? Pain keeps me humble. When I was a young boy, I used to seek God, and I would say, Lord, I always want to seek you. I want to stay humble. And the Lord spoke to me as just a young man, and I'll never forget what he told me. And if you're writing down, write this down. He said, son, people are either going to seek me through humility or humiliation. But one way or the other, I will be sought. You're either going to cry out to God after you gave up or you're going to cry out to God while you're in it and say, I refuse to give up. But somebody's got to get it in your heart today that just because you're going through some things does not mean that God has turned his back on you. It does not mean that God hates you. It does not mean that God has left you. If anything, I'm not declaring today in the face of God, why would you make me go through this? If anything, I'm saying today, God, thank you that while I'm in it, you are are with me you are walking with me hey the psalmist 
Jesus understood it. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I know it's a whole lot better preaching when he walks through the valley of the shadow of deliverance. Elizabeth Elliot said this, and I, I'm, I'm hurrying today. I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I'm very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Think about what I'm teaching you this morning. I'm going to get real transparent with you here for a minute so nobody get uncomfortable, okay? Looking back over my life at all the hard decisions, misunderstandings, false accusations, relationships gone sour, heartbreaking losses, I'd never want to endure it again. And I know that there's even more pain around the corner. But I'd never change what God does in me during difficult times. Pastor, I don't understand. Well, let me help you. Because of what God has done in me, He can now do more through me. Some people are so stuck. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some people are so stuck in where they've been that they do not realize God is trying to drag them out from where they were to elevate them to where they've been. But pain has not been a lesson for us. Pain has become the lifestyle for us. There are people in this room today that you do not want to forgive and move on into a place that God wants you to be because you know how bad what you've been through already. You know how bad that hurts. You already know how much pain and difficulty you're going to face if you just live where you've been. It's typical of humanity. It happened in the wilderness when they got frustrated with God 72 hours after he had parted the Red Sea. And they were dancing. They came to bitter water. And they said, well, then let's just go back across the Red Sea. Because God can always bring me back through what I've already been through. But God's intention was not for them to live in the miracle of the Red Sea. It was to teach them lessons in the wilderness of 40 years and to get them into a promised land. You hear this preacher when I tell you today that pain is not your promised land, but you won't make it to the promised land without pain. There are things that God is going to have to sift out of your heart and your life that you cannot learn on a sunshiny day when the world is all right and you see trees of green and you think to yourself, what a wonderful world. I know. I like that song too. It cheers me up on a bad day. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. But I've had days that I wake up on Monday morning after the will of God has been done in my life. 
and spirits are attacking my mind and, and health has, uh, has not been found in my family. Maybe a, a somebody in this church that I love is going through some things and I don't tell God in that moment, I can't believe you'd make us go through this. I can't believe you'd make us feel this pain. All of a sudden, I begin to do some soul searching and say, God, on this day, what I know is it's bigger than I am and I cannot do this on my own. I cannot face this mountain Shanda Bohaye. I cannot face this mountain by myself. I need a God that is bigger than I am. Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed, would you lead me to the rock that's higher than I? God does things in me in times of pain that allows him to do more through me when the pain is over. In the book that I was telling you about, there was a process that has changed my life, and I've taught it in leadership principles all around the country. I want you to listen to this. Growth equals change. Change equals loss. And loss equals pain. So when you look at God today and say, Lord, I want to grow. You know what you're asking? Church, I'm going to mess with your thinking right here. I'm going to pull that out of the book of etymology of Pentecost. I'm going to give to you a prayer that you'll hear prayed all the time in Pentecost. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. God, I want you to use me. But you'd get mad at me if I used you. Because when I finished using you, you'd feel like you were used. I, I can't hear. Maybe I should... Turn these things up. You've walked out of relationships and said, they just use me. What, what, what are you going to do when God's finished with you? You're going to walk away from him and say, he just used me. Huh? It's a little uncomfortable in your seat this morning. Because the apostle Paul said like this, he said, I would gladly spend or be spent. I would gladly spend or, man, maybe y'all don't feel what I feel right now. I preached a sermon several years ago about the 23rd Psalm called The Lamb's Dilemma. And I sure don't have time to preach that sermon because I don't have time to preach this one. In the 23rd Psalm, for the first time in my life, I read that psalm and realized, I don't know why it just dawned on me that day for the first time ever, that David was writing from the perspective of a lamb. Think about it. Lord, my shepherd shall not want. Make me to lie down in green pastures. Well, if the Lord made me lie down in green pastures as a man, I'd think that was weird. But for a lamb, it's paradise. The entire chapter is written from the perspective of a lamb to a shepherd. He's my shepherd. He knows what I want. He knows what I need. He takes care of me. He's got my back. Goodness and mercy are following me. I'm good to go. At the end of this chapter, the Psalms 23, I've never been able to look at it the same. Because he closes it out by saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's an end date on this. Forever? How long is forever? Until my forever is over. When my forever is done, then I'm done dwelling in the house of the Lord. When I tell my wife I'm going to love you forever, that doesn't mean that when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to still love her. 
The dead know nothing. I'm not going to love her when I'm dead. David said, there's an end to my life. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But church family, you write this down when I tell you. He's writing this from the perspective of a lamb. Which causes some crazy confusion in the minds of people. Because a lamb only served one purpose in the house of the Lord. David was saying in Psalms 23, I'm thankful for the blessing. But I can't have the blessing without being offered. I cannot be blessed with green pastures and still water for all of eternity. At some point, I'm going to have to come to the house of God and be willing to lay myself down on the altar and say, okay, if you're through using me, then you go ahead and use me, church. I don't want this to come across as ugly today, but it's in moments like this that you realize this kingdom is not all about me. It is not all about you. The church is not about you. It's about God using us until he's finished with us. And when God's done using me, he's done. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Holy Ghost is trying to help somebody here today. Rabbi Shekhtel in Dubai. Green pastures, still waters, restored soul, a table in the presence of mine enemy. But I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. I am a lamb. He is the shepherd. And when he's finished, I'm done. I can't do anything else. Because he used me. I'm not saying that self-made decisions don't allow pain in your life. Because most of the pain in my life has been self-inflicted. So don't. Don't misunderstand me. God doesn't just send us into pain with no purpose. But you understand me when I tell you that there is no pain that you have ever been through, whether self-inflicted or other-inflicted, that God cannot use that pain to do something powerful and incredible with your life. Listen to me in the Holy Ghost this morning. I'm in a vein of the Spirit that I can't afford to just jump out of right now. Some of you have been through things in your childhood that still hold you captive today because you can't afford to break out of the mold. You know how bad that hurts. You know how bad the pain is in your mind. You understand this. Jesus had a man come to him and he said, there's something wrong with my son. He is tormented. He's an imbecile. He keeps throwing himself in the fire. I don't know what to do with him. Jesus said, how long has he done this? And he said, since he was a child. That changes the whole dynamic of the story because it means even though it's his son, he's not a child anymore. He said, he's been doing this since he was a child. And Jesus said, let me help heal him today from whatever it was that happened to him yesterday. When he was a child, whatever it was he went through, it is not worth burning up in the fire that he keeps trying to throw himself in. 
You hear me today when I tell you that what you've been through does not define you, but it is valuable to who you are today. It is valuable to your testimony today because at some point, God is going to use you and you're going to look in the eyes of some young person that has been through hell like you've been through and you're going to look them in the eye and say, don't you let this destroy you. I lived through it. I survived it. I made it. You are valuable. There's a purpose in your pain. Reality finally hits. The first human reaction is denial. This can't be happening. The reality of pain strikes. We start denying. There's no way I could be going through this. There's no way that could be my report. I want to tell you, you can't ignore these painful impulses because truth and anger surface at the cause, at yourself, at God, or at anyone or anything else that comes to mind when you're in pain. If so-and-so would have done that to me, I wouldn't be hurting. If God would have prevented this in my life, I wouldn't be hurting right now. If I hadn't made that decision, I wouldn't be hurting right now. I don't know how to say this without sounding insensitive because my heart is in the right place. But let me minister to somebody that keeps saying, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be hurting. Here's the bottom line. You did it. And it's over. And it doesn't define you. You made a mistake. So let the mistake be a mistake. And get up out of the mistake. And move on forward. And say, God, I messed up. But I'm not going to live here. I backslid. I walked away from you. I got away from your presence. But I'm not going to live out of your presence. There is a purpose in my pain. Yes, it may have been a decision that I made. But I made it. And the decision has been made. I can't change it. But I can change my future. I can change my tomorrow. I can change my children. I can change my grandchildren. Children, I can bless somebody. Hit your finger with a hammer. First thing you start doing is shaking your hand instinctively. Boom. Ah! Why? Because I guess you think shaking your hand gets rid of the pain. But here's the reality let me minister to you right here. Shake it all day. It still hurts. Instinctively, the first thing you want to do is get rid of the pain. But you don't have to leave that thumb in the way too many times before you start learning what made that happen. I mean, I just preached and y'all missed it. What created the pain? Did I do something wrong? What well, wasn't necessarily wrong. It's just it was in the wrong place. It shouldn't have been there. It got in the middle of your progress. Because when you're progressing, you're growing. And when you're growing, there's pain. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost ministering in this room this morning. What can I do to get rid of the pain? What can I do to go back to normal? You know, it seems like a, a valid question. I just want to be normal again. I just want to. I just want to go back to normal. I want to tell you that it's more of an escape than the courage to face the hard facts. That life is what it is. 
and life can be difficult. But if you think it's difficult in the church, I said, if you think it's difficult in the church, you try to walk that mile without him holding your hand. God, I feel so overwhelmed today. I feel like there's a sword of the Spirit. Two-edged sword, the Word of God. It's cutting somebody going in today and it's cutting coming out. And I realize while I'm preaching it hurts. But you hear me when I tell you there's a purpose. There's a purpose in what you've been going through. There's a purpose in your pain. There is a purpose in the struggle. And sooner or later, you write it down. I can't tell you how long it's going to last. I don't know if it's going to be sooner rather than later. But you write it down at some point in this journey. If you'll just hang on. The sun is going to come up on the horizon. And you will feel hope again. Let me prophesy to you this morning. You're going to feel hope again. You're going to feel restoration again. You're going to feel the sunshine again. But you've got to live through it. You've got nowhere to go today. Why in the world would you run off and leave God in the midst of your trouble? Why would you leave the church in the midst of your trial? I feel like telling somebody in the house, just hang on. There's a purpose in the pain. But on the other side of it, I'll tell you my stories. When I come out on the other side, when I come out on the other side, I've got new insights. Ones that couldn't have been learned any other way. Insights that become treasures to me on the darkest of days. When I don't have any answers for what I'm in now, but I know the answer that got me through the last time. But I would never know. I know this is just rhetoric for some of you. But I would never know that he was a healer if he wouldn't have healed my body. If he wouldn't have healed my children. I would never, ever, ever know how good God really is until I had to trust him with everything that was within me. It has been said... Stages of grief are not linear. People can go forward and backwards in deeper cycles of pain realization. It's messy and it's ugly. But it's essential if people are going to make peace with their pain. What are you saying, Pastor? Here's what I'm saying. However long it takes is how long it takes for you to heal. Whatever it costs you to heal, it is worth the investment. You know what? I think sometimes in learning humanity, sometimes I feel like that pain keeps some of you on your faces more. You're on your face more while you're hurting than you are when you're delivered. I think sometimes God wants us to learn a lesson that he's worthy of me being on my face even when I'm feeling pretty good. Let me hurry. I've got just a few minutes. The normal human response to the pain is to do anything except face it. We minimize the problem by saying things like, oh, it's not really that bad. 
We excuse those that have hurt us by saying, well, he didn't really mean to. We deny that it even happened by saying, well, like, what, what conflict? It wasn't that big of a deal. What's, I mean, it's just life and it happens. But pain is not your enemy. The inability or unwillingness to face pain is by far a greater danger than the pain that you're enduring. I'm going to share the story with you that changed your pastor's life. I read, I, I read enough that I can honestly say it may be once every five years that I pick up a book that when I'm done, I'm like, whoa. I mean, my library is crazy. But I'm going to read you a story that I read on that flight to Houston that day. And it changed my life. It was a doctor by the name of Paul Brand. His specialty was working with lepers in India, so stay with me. It's going to be a story. Don't, don't sleep on me. He worked with lepers in India and the United States. In the gift of pain that was co-authored by Philip Yancey, Dr. Brand tells the story of a four-year-old girl named Tanya. When her mother brought Tanya to the National Leprosy Hospital in Carville, Louisiana, Dr. Brand immediately noticed the little girl appeared totally calm as he removed her blood-stained bandages and examined her dislocated ankle. As the doctor gently moved her foot to assess the extent of the damage, Tanya appeared bored. She felt no pain whatsoever. Her mother explained that she first realized Tanya's problem when she was only 18 months old. She had left her daughter in a playpen for a few minutes. When she returned, she saw Tanya finger painting with large red swirls on the sheet. She hadn't remembered giving her daughter any paint. When she got closer, she screamed in horror. Tanya had bitten off the end of her finger and was using her blood as paint. When her mother screamed, the little girl looked up with streaks of blood on her teeth, she said. Tanya suffered from a rare genetic, genetic malady called congenital indifference to pain. It's a condition that's very similar to leprosy. In every other way, she was a healthy little girl, but she felt no pain at all. Seven years later, Tanya's mother called Dr. Brand to tell him that the little girl had lost both legs to amputation as well as most of her fingers. Her elbows were constantly dislocated. She suffered sepsis from ulcers on her hands and leg stumps. She had chewed her tongue so badly that it was swollen and lacerated. Years earlier, Tanya's father walked off and left because he couldn't handle the stress of raising her. And he said, she is, and I quote, a monster. Dr. Brand observed, Tanya was no monster. Only an extreme example, a human metaphor really. Of life without pain. Leprosy can be contagious. But Dr. Brand assured his colleagues at the hospital that they were in no danger whatsoever. Then one night, after a flight from America to London, Dr. Brand went to his hotel and began to undress for bed. When he took off one of his shoes, he realized he had no sensation in his foot. The numbness terrified him. He found a pen and stuck it into the skin below his ankle. Nothing. He pushed it deeper into his flesh. 
This time there was some blood that appeared, but he felt no pain whatsoever. All night, Dr. Brand lay in bed and his mind raced to imagine his new life as a leper. How would it affect his personal life? Would he have to leave his family and live in a colony so they don't catch it? What assurance could he now give his staff that they too would contract the disease? The next morning as day dawned, Dr. Brand picked up a pen and he stuck it in his ankle. This time, he yelled because it hurt. From that day forward, whenever he felt discomfort from a cut, from nausea, from anything, he responded with gratitude and said, thank God for my pain. Because we have been taught to read the scripture selectively. We often as Christians have more difficulty handling personal pain than unbelievers. When we look at the promises of God that are in the book, then we just say, well, it says he's going to wipe all tears from our eyes. Yeah, but that's not right now. You're going to endure some stuff. I know when he came forth, the question was asked to the grave and to death. Where's the victory? Where's the sting? I want to tell you as a man today, I believe in the resurrection, but death has stung me many times. And I felt like grave had the victory. But I don't believe in the resurrection today because I don't feel pain. Believe in the resurrection. Because someday there will be no pain. For God shall wipe the tears from their eyes. Hallelujah. God. I'm enduring the pain of life and all that it brings right now because I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Well, Pastor, I just figured if I'm in the will of God, then I shouldn't ever face pain but Matthew 4 40, Matthew 5 rather than 45 said that you may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good come on somebody read this with me he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust David said, my foot had well not slipped when I beheld the prosperity of the wicked. 
until I came into the sanctuary and I beheld their latter end. Sometimes it's painful when you look at other people. You say, I don't think it's fair they still got their dad. I don't think it's fair they still got their mom. I don't think it's fair they still got their health. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. Well, you know what? I found out life's not fair. I'm not in any trouble today. My heart is not broken. I mean, I've been through stuff. It's life. It just happens. I've been through it. But the pressure that I'm carrying on my shoulders today is for somebody. I'm telling you right now. I laid awake all night last night. I came down to the church and prayed and I tried to shake this. There's somebody in this house this morning that's holding God accountable for your pain. You're holding God accountable for what you've been through. And like a hurt spouse, you reject God and intimacy with Him because you're angry and you're frustrated with God. But the Holy Ghost sent me on this Sunday morning to reach one more time for somebody in this house. That is search through the rubbish and the pieces of your life and try to figure out what's the purpose in all of it. And I can't tell you what the purpose is today, but I can tell you there is a purpose. And that the Holy Ghost thought enough of you to keep this preacher awake through the night. To come to this house on Sunday morning. And to tell you it won't always be this way. It's not going to be dark forever. But if you die in the darkness... And you die while you're hurting. If your heart's right with God, when you open up your eyes for the first time in eternity and the glorious beam of His light that surrounds His glory is the next thing that fills your eyes, you can say in that moment, it was worth it all. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see God, one glimpse of his dear face and all sorrows will erase. So let us run this race until we see God. I want to start with where or finish where I started this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9 as the Holy Ghost moves through this room right now. He said, I asked God to take it from me three times. And heaven's response to my earthly query. My grace is sufficient. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Could I reach for somebody one more time this morning and ask you the question where are you going to go when you leave God?
Pastor, I'm hurt. Yeah. So has everybody else in this room been hurt? I'm not making, not minimizing yours. I'm not making light of what you're facing. I'm just saying. There's been better men than me that's been hurt way worse than I have. But I stood at their funeral with confidence that they knew their creator. Brother Miller, they knew that he would stand at the latter day on the earth. I don't know who I'm reaching for, but I'm telling you today, I have reached with every, every fiber of my being today in this house for somebody that is struggling with your reality and you don't know how to make sense of it. So let me just tell you, it's my, it just might not make sense right now. But all I could think of as I stand here this morning in closing, Brother Horner, is by and by when the morning comes. We will understand it better. By and by. I don't know what I got to do today to give an altar call. But I will tell you this. The altars are open. We could perhaps let our musicians play a song that would maybe move you to emotions. But I don't know that it's really necessary at this moment. I just believe that God is desiring to touch somebody in this room this morning. That needs to find the purpose in your pain. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to tell you this. Some of you have been holding it in so long right now, you feel like you're about to bust. So while you're standing here at the altar today, just open your heart. I don't care if one person has something negative to say about you, they can say it to me. They're going to have to get through your brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, God, God wants to heal somebody here this morning. I'm telling you, if you'll open up your heart and open up your mouth right now.